everybody, and welcome back to the Double Down WNBA Podcast. Eric Amchak here alongside Stephen Trinkwald. As always, we are continuing our 2023 team outlooks with the Washington Mystics. The Mystics, they were 22-14 and 14 in 2022, tied for the fourth best record in the league with the Seattle Storm. They were the fifth seed in the playoffs, uh, fifth in net rating, Eric at 5.1 net rating, you know, basically a group of five good teams, I think, and, and they were uh, in that group of, you know, legitimately good teams. They were seventh in offense, 101.1 offensive rating, the best defense in the WNBA last year with a 96 defensive rating, and of course uh, lost in the first round in two games to the Seattle Storm. Didn't get a chance to bring it back to Washington in a series that it felt like they really had a chance to make competitive if they could have closed out game one, which was uh, a little bit more of a, a game that they could have won and Deladon had a good game and stuff like that. And they just, you know, didn't have enough after that, I think. Yeah. You know, this Mystics team, I think, um, you know, we're pretty self-deprecating on this podcast, which is a good way to go through life if you ask me. But uh, this Mystics team was something, I, I think we had a good read on them pretty early, you know, a, a team that was going to be very good defensively and they were, um, but also very reliant on Alina Deladon offensively which they also were, and you could really tell when Deladon wasn't on the floor just how limited this team was. I mean, they had a 22-14 and 14 record. I mean, they were a great team last season, but their ceiling was so uh, was so dependent on one player being healthy and being on, you know, when she is healthy. It's not a championship formula, if you ask me. Yeah, the difference was stark. You know, obviously Deladon was on a bit of a maintenance plan last year her first you know full season since the 2019 championship season in the 25 games with Elena Deladon the Mystics went 18 and 7 had a 103.8 offensive rating in the 11 games without Elena Deladon they went 4 and 7 and had a 98 offensive rating there was just really no way for them to score efficiently without Deladon, uh, as we'll get to. I'm not sure much has changed in that regard, but, you know, I, I've said it many times. I'll say it a lot more. Elena Deladon lifts all boats offensively. You know, she's basically all you need for a very good offense, and that proved to be the case again last year. You know, like I said, they were only seventh over the course of the season, but much, much better in the games that she played. In her individual season, 17 points a game on 59% true shooting. That's really good. And in some ways was like kind of even less than you might expect from like your typical Deladon season. I mean, she just sets the standard so high. And this was kind of the story for the most of the Mystic season. Deladon brought back finally healthy again after that extensive battle with a back injury. It was good to see her healthy again. But as you said, it was very obvious the Mystics were going to have her on some sort of maintenance plan to keep her healthy for the playoffs. Of course, it didn't work out as they might have hoped, getting bounced by the storm. But yeah, it, it those stats that you just mentioned, it, it really puts into perspective just how just how good Elena Deladon is, particularly offensively. Um, you know, she how how many years have we seen this now? She's an elite free throw shooter, obviously. She's a huge matchup problem at any position she's playing at because she's so skilled with the basketball. And she's such a uh, fundamentally sound scorer. She can score from anywhere on the court doesn't turn it over really i mean you mentioned the the career high turnover rate was still what third in the league behind brianna stewart and rakana williams so really really good great three-point shooter i mean she just does it does it all does almost everything for this team offensively and it was really no surprise particularly when looking at the rest of their roster that whenever they sat or whenever she sat rather they really had trouble creating efficient offense yeah i mean she 
is so gifted in terms of being a true three-level scorer, you know, one of the, the few players that you can kind of rely on being... That term is kind of overused, I feel like. For sure. is one of the few players who does fit that criteria. I mean, if she's taking a mid-ranger, like, no one's really going to complain. Obviously, she, she can get to the rim exceedingly well uh, for a player who is not the most, you know, explosive off the bounce or anything like that, but she, she gets her way there. She'll up and under use her great footwork and her great ball fakes and stuff like that to go over and around defenders. Obviously, she has just a truly elite combination of being able to get to the foul line with uh, her shooting form and everything like that, and also just never, ever fouling. I think basically two fouls per 36 minutes for her entire career, pretty outstanding. You know, and like we were kind of saying, she had you know, just about a 7% turnover rate, which was like her highest in, you know, a half decade or more, which was still the third best rate in the league. She was for the first time since 2015 below 38%. But, you know, for a star player hitting 37% of their threes, you know, you're, you're still going to take that. She was just below 60% true shooting. So, you know, she was only in the 81st percentile league-wide rather than her usual 90-something. So these are all, you know, offensive numbers that she put up that you would take every day from your superstar player and yet kind of on the wrong side of the, like you're saying, extremely high bar that she has set for herself over the course of her career offensively, but still about as good of a season as you could possibly expect for a 30-something who missed two full seasons. And you also wanted to shout out her defense briefly because I think, in my opinion, she's underrated as a defensive player. She's not really going to give you much defensive versatility, but as you said, she's really, really good at not fouling, which is inherently a good thing from a uh, from a big and she's just really good at contesting shots with her length she's pretty limited limited to defending the four these days but within this mystic system that has three really 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 good perimeter defenders and we'll get to that later on this is pretty much all you need from deladon right i mean i would even disagree with you a little bit like i think she is at worst kind of above average defender at the five position you know when you get to kind of the highest levels of the playoffs like she's probably going to be defending fives a lot of the time you know she was I think pretty good against Tina Charles in her moments against Tina Charles in that Seattle series like she she has five size even if you kind of think of her as a player that isn't necessarily a power player but her defensive game is more of one who's gonna kind of play around the rim like she's not really gonna defend on the perimeter a ton and I think that's probably more of what you meant in terms of not giving you it is yeah a ton of defensive versatility like she's not going to be chasing Brandon Stewart around a ton of screens at the top of the key or anything like that but you know she she defends the rim very well we mentioned how how stark the difference was offensively when Elena Deladon was able to play and when she wasn't they were also three points per 100 possessions better defensively in the games that she played like so she's you know she's not a one-way player at all as much as she I think early in her career even up to very recently was viewed that way like I I just don't think that's the case really I agree with that and you also have something to say about her rebounding correct well yeah I mean that that is definitely I think you know we talk about this with Brianna Jones a lot how she will just impact defensive rebounding without really you know putting up huge defensive rebounding numbers the Mystics rebounded 80% of their opponents misses when Elena Deladon was on the court last year. And, you know, she was, she's only pulling down six rebounds a game. Like that's not some amazing individual rebounding number or anything like that, but she's just a great box out player. You know, you're always going to be a better rebounding team with her out there. And they only rebounded 69% of opponents misses when she, nice. when she was not on the floor. So, 
you know, like we said, this was the number one defense in the league, and that's uh, for a lot of different reasons. This, this team is full of great defensive players, but Elena Deladon is certainly not hampering them in that end. That's a good way of putting it. That's pretty diplomatic. Believe it or not, this is not a one-player team. Uh, this is a 2023 outlook episode, of course. We're not going to spend all day talking about the 2022 Mystics, but we need to talk about Shakira Austin, uh, the rookie center who they traded down for after having the number one overall pick. Uh, they passed up on the opportunity to draft Ryan Howard, the eventual rookie of the year uh, last season, and they drafted Shakira Austin instead. And it was very obvious early, Stephen, just how good of a player Shakira Austin was going to be right out of the box. And I think the Mystics front office was really vindicated making that trade by how well she played as a rookie. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, Nolsa Smith, no no slouch either. So to kind of pass up two potential franchise players, you know, at, at number one and two to kind of set their sights on Shakira Austin, you know, who knows if they valued Austin way more than those two players or kind of just equally and, and said, well, if we can get a player that we have in the same range and, and get an additional potential lottery pick from that, then let, let's do that. But Austin was amazing for them. I mean, she was so much closer to to a positive impact player on both ends than I, I could have ever predicted, you know, in her first year playing for like a highly competitive team, right? Like so many sure. lottery picks, you know, they, they're giving you flashes on teams that are not very good, frankly. Like you're, you're not really contributing to winning basketball all that much early on. And, you know, we really went deep on Shakira Austin in our, our 25 players, 25 and under. So, you know, if you, you haven't listened to that, definitely encourage you to do so. But she was basically everything you could have asked for from balancing that, giving you a player who is someone who you hope to be in your organization for the next 10 years, but also kind of helping you win games now. You know, we, we talked a lot about how awesome she was making plays defensively. You know, I think unlike Della Don, not necessarily a player that you're going to have in drop coverage in the pick and roll, you know, kind of defend with verticality and stuff like that. Like she's more someone who you want to put on the perimeter, like pressure the ball handler, use her length and athleticism to to trap or hard hedge and kind of cause chaos. And I thought defensively, she was really, really good doing that. And then offensively, I mean, for a player who at Ole Miss, like not a perfect ecosystem, Eric. No, I know not at all. you've talked about that old old Miss uh, system and, and kind of the, the talent around Shakira Austin quite a bit, but the way that she was able to kind of maximize her game, not really taking up too many post-up possessions. She was over a point per possession posting up because she basically was only going to post up when she had an advantage, which I think, you know, so many bigs in the league kind of do more than that. And that's why there are not a ton of post-up players that are high efficiency post-up players because they're they're posting up against really elite post-up defenders and, and Austin just basically never did that but she was also you know as good as you could have possibly expect from a player you know a rookie player who was not playing with WNBA talent in her college system like moving without the basketball and just playing winning basketball cutting well you know doing all the things that you kind of want a player who's not going to have the ball in her hands all the time to do offensively. It's interesting you bring up Shakira Austin's offense because she was advertised as a potential stretch big. That's not really what she did in Washington. She did a lot of other things really well offensively, but it was more so of things that, you know, that are in the details, in between the details. Like you, you mentioned her cutting. She's already a really good cutter, which it's interesting watching her play at Ole Miss because there just wasn't a lot of room to do that. Granted, it wasn't a total mystery because she did play at Maryland as well, which program that typically has better floor spacing than uh, Ole Miss did in Austin's senior season. But like I said, we didn't really see much of the 
the pick and pop or the quote unquote stretch five game from from Shakira Austin. And I I don't have a problem with that because she was so effective around the rim. She does like like I said the details. She does all these little things so well, and it's so impressive for a rookie because she can catch and finish with both hands. She elevates really really nicely and has nice finesse around the rim. She doesn't rely too much on her strength to get shots off because you know I think a lot of young players they're they're used to just having that physical advantage. Uh, where in the WNBA you just don't really have that anymore. You got to adjust your game. Well, Austin, she was in a good situation for sure. As you alluded to, the coaching staff did a great job of really putting her in positions where she can succeed, where she can do what she does best at, particularly offensively. And going back to floor spacing, this is something I mentioned in the uh, 25 under 25 episode, but I thought it was so good. There's a quote from uh, Cleveland Cavaliers head coach JB Bickerstaff talking about Jared Allen. This is, of course, not an NBA podcast, but I think it applies here. Uh, vertical spacing. You know, Austin, she understands when to make her cuts and how to use that large catch radius that she has. You know, she just operates in space really well. She picked it up very, very quickly. And noticing that, it's it's really no surprise to me why Mike Tebow wanted this player so badly. You know, yeah. it's, it's just oh, such sorry. a Tebow type. She wasn't a stretch big in the traditional sense of she was canning a bunch of threes, but she would position herself at the three-point line and you just couldn't take your eyes off of her because if you did, if there was a lane for her to get from the three-point line to the basket, like she just found the seams within the defense so well. And, you know, this team, they weren't, you know, the 2019 mystics in terms of passing the ball, but there were enough capable passers that her hard work moving without the ball was basically always rewarded. And, and it's she- not just, it's not just her standing in the dunker spot and waiting for a dump off pass, right? It was legitimately reading the defense and seeing when and where she could get those shots. Yep. And she just cut with, with intention and intelligence. And it was really, I, I think kind of a special offensive season in terms of, again, a lottery pick coming into a situation with high hopes in terms of competing this year and actually being able to produce on the court in a way outside of just putting up some good box score stats like she, she really made this team better um i think we need to move on to the actual 2023 content here for the mystics steven would you mind going over their additions and subtractions real quick sure so they lost alicia clark to the las vegas aces elizabeth williams to your chicago sky eric and they declined to bring back rory Mashida, and they brought in Brittany sykes on a a big uh, max contract basically for three years. They traded for the rights to Amanda Zowie B. Um, they recently just signed Lee Mang. They will at some point probably be bringing in Christy Tolliver after the Dallas Mavericks season is over. And they also have the number four pick that they'll be bringing in. So a lot of pieces staying the same, but you know, a, a couple interesting swaps in terms of the Clark for Sykes, you know, roster swap, basically changing out their starting three, and then they're going to have a new fourth big, it, it seems like, whether that's Zowie B or somebody else. So, you know, we, we kind of know who their their core is going to be in, in Cloud and Atkins, Sykes, Deladon, Heinz Allen and Austin. You know, I, I kind of like that three big combination in Deladon, Heinz Allen and Austin. You know, they have some pretty uh, familiar faces on the perimeter. Um, I think those... Those seven I just ran through and with Shatori Walker-Kimbrough as well, plus the number four pick seems like the only real locks to make the roster. You know, they can't only fit 11, so that'll leave us three of Lee Mang, Avina Westbrook, and Jasmine Jones on the perimeter, Amanda Zawi Tiana Hawkins, and Stephanie Jones, and Alicia Jenkins at the big spots. So you have to think one of those players of the three that that will probably, you know, come to terms with will be a holdover spot for Christy Tolliver, who, like we said, plans on joining the team later in the season. So what are you thinking about kind of rounding out this this roster for three of the seven players I just kind of ran through? 
You know, looking at this roster, I see the immediate weakness I see is, once again, lack of a backup point guard. And I'm not sure any of these players that you listed really fill that need. Jasmine Jones has been used as a point guard and throughout her uh, few years at the WNBA level. Avina Weisberg, I think, projects as a as a ball handler. I don't know what she would do exactly to, you know, bring value-added passing or even value-added ball handling with this team. But, uh, you know, Lee Mang is, is more of a shooter, as we saw last season internationally. She's a, she's a real flamethrower, which I don't want to discredit at all. But, again, it's it's who's handling the ball behind Natasha Cloud? I mean, they, they brought in Sykes to be their backup point guard, for sure. She's going to start games and be their, their small forward with the starters, and she's almost certainly going to run the second unit offense. Okay, so then you're probably bringing in another shooter, right? Yeah, so I imagine, you know, Mang will will make the team. Mang, yeah. uh, you know, I, I don't watch too much, uh, you know, national team basketball. I, I have only seen a handful of her games um, for the Chinese national team. Obviously, don't watch the, the CBA, but enough people that I respect seem to kind of like what she can bring to this team. And they definitely, you know, need what she's, you know, purported to do as a floor spacer. So... I think she would probably be one of the three players here. From what I've seen, her release is very quick. There, there's like almost no dip in her jump shot at all. I think she can probably get off threes at the WNBA level. I'm not sure about her athleticism inside the arc or her defensive ability. So can she stay on the floor long enough to get those shots off, basically? Yeah, I mean, at least as a playoff player, you know, she, she's probably fine as a regular season player, right? I, I would think so. Yeah, I would agree with that. And then how about this uh, backup big position? Because I, I know you're not a fan of rostering more bigs than you really need to, but um, not a lot of names, I don't think, standing out here either. Uh, they did trade several future draft picks for the rights to Amanda Zowie B. So I think, you know, it, it, you would look at it then and say, okay, well, they really believe in her. But, man, uh, it's been kind of rough in EuroLeague, I think, over in Italy. And it's not like that's – it's, it's going to be a sunk cost, right? It's not like they gave up – it's not like they're married to the idea of rostering Amanda Zowie B over Tiana Hawkins, who has had success on the Mystics in the past. Yeah, obviously a player with a lot of franchise equity in, in Tiana Hawkins. And, you know, like you're saying, it was a couple of second round picks, uh, something that maybe on paper kind of looks like a big price. But, you know, the Mystics, I don't know when the last time a second round pick made their team. Maybe Maisha Heinz-Allen might, might be the last one. Yeah, obviously. that's a good point. But yeah, I think I would lean Hawkins here. Like we know her limitations, especially defensively, but I think with the rest of this ecosystem that this team has defensively, like they just need one more good offensive player, which I think Hawkins is, uh, instead of Amanda Zowie B, who at this point, like her, her one WNBA skill, I think is probably defensive rebounding. Like neither of them really bring quality three-point shooting to this team which is another thing from a fourth big spot that they could probably really really go for Zowie B will probably give you a little bit more volume from three but I think Hawkins is just a much better offensive player like for as much of a reputation as a stretch five that Zowie B has she's never had a season over 35 percent she's a career 31 percent three-point shooter Hawkins herself is probably a little overrated as a shooter she hasn't had a good three-point shooting season herself since 2019 but she's everyone had a good shooting season everybody did have a good shooting season then but I think she's underrated as a driver she's always been a very effective two-point scorer you know mostly as a player who kind of spots up from either three or long two and and attacks closeouts and you know overseas productivity is you know take it with a grain of salt but Hawkins is putting up 60% true shooting on in Australia as basically her team's number one option as opposed to Amanda Zowie B you know, playing 15, 20 minutes a game as a backup center, posting 47% true shooting and, and not really being able to 
defend well or you know contribute much on, on offense. So alongside fellow WNBA player Astu Dufall, by the way, I think that's important context. Yeah, backing up uh, Astu there, and you know not even being the primary big off the bench sometimes. So honestly, you know, Hawkins, I, I might even trust more defensively at this point. Amanda Zawibi just kind of looks cooked defensively. You know, she she can't really hang in, in space and uh, can't really defend the rim anymore. Can't even really get her blocked shots. So I would definitely, you know, lean Hawkins over Zawibi, over Stephanie Jones, who kind of is one of those players that uh, Richard Cohen always says, you know, we'll, we'll get a lot of training camp invites and, and stuff like that. But yes. to me, another player who, like you were saying with some of these guards, doesn't really necessarily have a defined WNBA skill. And, you know, for that final roster spot, I, I would probably still lean Avina Westbrook over Jones or Zowie B or, or Jasmine Jones, you know, just because she's the biggest mystery box, I think. You know, it's one of those situations we come across time and again where, we know basically that Jasmine Jones over three WNBA seasons, like we're basically a hundred percent sure she doesn't have a WNBA skill where Westbrook, you know, maybe she could end up having one. I, what would it be? <laughs> maybe she turns into a, a decent shooter. Cause I, you were not, you are not a Westbrook fan. Heading I'm, I'm not, no, but I mean, we're just looking at options. I mean, Hey, maybe, you know, at some point, Kristen Williams, gets healthy enough to sign the training camp contract. And she's the the last spot. To... That is true. That is true. I almost forgot, forgot about Kristen Williams. As I understand it, the Mystics would be very willing to bring her back, but we don't know what that's going to look like. I mean, you know, she, she injured her knee uh, in training camp last season, I believe it was. And as we've discussed many, many times on this podcast, it, it often takes, like they can come back in a year, but are they going to be back 100% in a year? That's, that's often not the case. So, And I think this is the spot that's probably the holdover for Christy Tolliver anyway. Like, sure. I, I don't think whoever this last player is, whether they lean guard or big to start the season, like this is probably the one that you know ends up losing their spot when Christy Tolliver's season with the Dallas Mavericks wraps up. And they, of course, as you mentioned, have the number four overall draft pick, which is looking less and less valuable by the day. If we did this episode, like this is the problem here. Players have differing amounts of time to declare for the WNBA draft depending on if they, you know, go far in the NCAA tournament or not. If you would have asked this this question or if we would have recorded this episode a few weeks ago, I would have said, I really like Haley Jones for Washington. You know, she's she just adds an extra dimension to, uh, of playmaking to their roster from, uh, you know, not really a guard position, but she also just seems like a Mike Tebow type of player. Her, her biggest weakness is obviously her outside shot, but the Mystics are one of the few WNBA teams, I would say, that has a proven track record of individual player development. So if, if she was to get drafted to a WNBA team, you know, that is willing to invest that kind of invest that kind of time and effort into developing her game, I, I would like Washington. But, you know, with Rakia Jackson recently saying she's going to go back to Tennessee for another year, uh, I mean, we don't even know if Aaliyah Boston is going to leave school. We don't know if Jordan Horson is going to leave school. So seems like more and more that J.C. Sheldon might return to school yeah. as well. Yeah, so I don't know if Haley Jones will even be there at four. Um, I would say J.C. Sheldon, as you mentioned, um, I would love her on the Mystics because she is actually a guard. She is definitely a value-added passer. She's great in transition. She can shoot the three. But, you know, she's had a an injury-plagued senior season at Ohio State. I wouldn't be surprised if she returns just for one more crack at it. I don't Is that pick going to get traded, Steven? Because this draft class is all of a sudden not looking that great. I guess they could stash a pick with, uh, you know, Stephanie Suarez from uh, Iowa State, rather. She would be that international player or player who would be taking the year off to recover from her recent ACL injury. So they could say, like, okay, we're just going to stash this player and 
hold her rights until next season because we don't really need them. Much like Nira Saboli last year. Yeah, exactly, exactly. You know, you know, I like Letitia Ami here from South Carolina, but that would be another that that would be another upset upside swing. I think a lot of people would look at that pick and say like, what what are the Mystics doing? So I don't know, man. I, I think that pick is going to get traded, honestly, because it's either you you stash it and it's stashing at number four is awfully high, or you take a player who's you know, one of the better players in the draft class right away, but I'm not sure how many of those players will even be around by the time the Mystics are making that pick because, you know, with NIL deals becoming more and more lucrative and more and more players choosing to stay in college for their extra season of eligibility due to the COVID year, there's not much incentive to actually go into the draft. You know what I mean? Unfortunately, it seems like a problem that WNBA has both with getting players to come out of college and... It's not just overseas anymore. Yeah, I mean... It's a problem where, you know, the, the best players, they're just not itching to, to play in the WNBA. There are, there are just bigger priorities for them, whether it's standing And, like, Stephen, or... you have players literally going on Twitter. I think it was Tamari Key from Tennessee who said uh, she made a pretty insightful post, to be honest. She said, like, hey, we're flying charter. <laughs> we're, we're Now we're getting paid NIL deals. We're getting education. Like, why would we go to a situation in which we're not going to play? We may not even make the team. And then we, like, can't go back to that setting if we wanted to. So it's a problem for sure. Well, all we need is more roster spots, you know, yeah. extra teams. <laughs> that, that's all we need. Expansion. Not It's that easy. But yeah, I mean, you know, philosophically, I, I would love for Washington to just take the highest upside player available here. Someone, you know, someone to be a part of the next good Shakira Austin team, much more than just kind of finding someone that can help the final versions of Elena Deladon teams. You know, I think there's at least somewhat of a chance that Austin is the only player on this roster now who's still on the team by the time if Washington does hang on to the number four pick, that player is in the fourth year of their rookie scale contract. So I would just be much more kind of thinking forward as, as opposed to kind of maximizing who, you know, who can help this team the most right now, because that player is probably not going to play too much anyway in, in the playoffs, you know, against the very best teams and stuff like that. So again, it's, it's hard to say who that will be. You know, you mentioned Haley Jones, Jones is, a player that I think, you know, if the Dallas Wings take him in the draft, everybody's laughing at them. And if the Washington Mystics take take her in the draft, you know, Mike Tebow's at it again. What a genius. You yeah, know? exactly. Um, just a player that I think, you know, maybe this is a conversation for, for another day, but, you know, people have kind of overcorrected on a little bit in terms of how her shooting limitations are, are going to hamper her at the next level. I think, you know, she's still going to be a pretty good player. But so their big acquisition in the offseason was Brittany Sykes, a player who we talked about a little bit in the free agency episode, like kind of more strengthens strengthens their strengths than really addresses any weaknesses outside of maybe like we were talking about before, someone that can do some some initiating on the second unit, right? Yeah, they, uh, as you said, we talked about this, but we're going to talk about it again. Uh, Sykes, one of the best perimeter defenders in the league, one of the best perimeter athlete or most athletic perimeter players in the league who can do a little bit of creating off the dribble, um, but has obvious limitations with her, her jump shooting. And if you look at the Mystics last season, yeah, you, you say Sykes is probably going to play backup point guard or de facto guard ball handler, shot creator, whatever you want to call it, with Natasha Cloud out of the game. I mean, they threw the bag at her, and good for Sykes for securing that kind of contract. But how is she going to fit fit into this Mystic system, and how is she going to address what they're not good at? I mean, like we said, she definitely enhances their strengths, I think. They were the number one defense in the league last year, and I think a lot of what they did well, Sykes can kind of continue to kind of 
point them in the right direction. Like they forced a ton of turnovers last year. Sykes, I think, is going to contribute to forcing a lot of turnovers this year, a lot of live ball turnovers. They had a great steal percentage last year, and Sykes is is great in that regard. A lot of that also came from just having really good bigs defensively. You know, I don't think any team in the league, maybe Eric, had a group of bigs defensively when you're talking about one through four that were as good defensively as Deladon, Austin, Heinz Allen, and Elizabeth Williams. That's just like basically 40 minutes of good defense from the two spots. But, you know, they also had Cloud and and Clark and Atkins, a a really great group of perimeter defenders. And, you know, swapping out Alicia Clark for, for Brittany Sykes, that's pretty good if you want to stay competitive uh, defensively on the perimeter so it's like has any team lost alicia clark in free agency and said at the end of the day yeah we're gonna be better defensively but on the offensive side of the ball like this was the worst team in the league in terms of efficiency from the pick and roll ball handler and sykes is gonna do that for you a lot but you know 0.75 points per possession as a pick and roll ball handler like she's not going to really meaningfully improve them in terms of who they already have on roster natasha cloud ariel atkins like those players are are right in that same neighborhood about three quarters of a point per possession obviously she'll be a big improvement on rui mishida who was one of the worst players in the league in terms of her just overall offensive efficiency but you know she's she's not really gonna bring them to new heights in terms of what she does in the pick and roll you know a lot of it settling for mid-range shots which are just not a great shot for her, you know, basically, you know, two thirds of a point per possession when she's kind of pulling up from long to hopefully Eric Sykes is able to kind of push them out in transition more. We've talked many times about how Mike Tebow teams just never run in transition. Never. Washington was 11th in transition frequency last year. It would just, it would be a mistake to not emphasize that more, particularly on second units when Sykes and Maisha Hines Allen are out there. Those are two players who can capably play in the open court, you know, if Atkins is out there and and stuff like that, you know, that hopefully Eric Tebow kind of brings with him a little bit of a different philosophy than Mike Tebow did in terms of getting out in the open court. I know it's it's a high turnover play, and I think that's maybe why coaches don't like it, but it's also a, a very effective one, uh, you know, in the grand scheme of things. But on the other side of that, you know, Sykes was in the 11th percentile in spot-up efficiency for a team that, you know, they generate a ton of spot-up possessions as every team does and Washington is usually better than most at actually canning those shots and turning that into a very high efficiency play overall the Sparks offense was four points worse per 100 possessions with her on the court last year that was you know worst of any of their real rotation players aside from Olivia Nelson Adota she was in the 38th percentile in true shooting so a team that was kind of middling offensively adding a player who I think fits worse you know again she she maybe will check that box of giving them a second unit creator but she's undoubtedly a worse fit offensively with the closing lineup against the very best teams than you know the player she's replacing in Alicia Clark and you say closing lineup because it's pretty much a given that she's going to be closing it's not like in LA where there's a little bit of of, uh you know a little bit of optionality as as you like to say there it's you know, they're invested in Sykes now. Uh, I was I was also going to, you know, agree with you on the transition stuff. She is a great candidate to get out in transition and, and make plays out there. And I do think that it would be a good idea if they sped things up with the basketball a little bit. Because, I mean, they're also really good at, at defensively rebounding the basketball. And it's difficult to get out in transition if you don't do that. But yeah, if you, if you rebound all the time and you force a ton of steals, like, you should run in transition. Yeah, yeah. And that's two things that the Mystics are going to be very good at once again. 
So, yeah, that just seems like a no-brainer to me. We'll see if it actually happens. You, you got to think there is there, there at least some internal dialogue among the Mystics' front office this past offseason when they, they struck out on Brianna Stewart, which I'm not sure if they ever really had a chance at Brianna Stewart, but it was mentioned uh, by some reporters at the time. Uh, they said, okay, you know, like if this is our... If Sykes is our, our home run swing here in free agency, we need to be able to kind of change up how we play. And, you know, they have played under Mike Tebow for this this style that has been effective in the past. You know, they obviously won a championship in 2019 with it, but at, at some point I think you just need to modernize your game a little bit, particularly with the amount of roster turnover. Like, they're going to be, again, really good at on defense, but if you look at what they were last year and what they were this year, as, we were, as, as we've been saying, this doesn't really help their weaknesses as much as it does their strengths, what they're already good at. So I think you need to kind of change things up a little bit to at least maximize what Sykes is good at because she is a good player for sure. But it's just that her weaknesses are so glaring and they kind of compound the Mystics' weaknesses that they have already. It's difficult to see how, at least in the half-court offense, this is going to work out. Yep, and that half-court offense, you're looking at basically two-plus shooters in Della Don and Ariel Atkins, a when you're just talking about her shooting possessions, a paint-bound center in Shakira Austin, obviously we, we talked a lot about how she can be creative and where she sort of positions herself and sort of attacks the basket without the ball in her hands and, you know, how good she is as a cutter. So, I mean, that does open things up more for you than, you know, kind of the traditional player who's going to take all of their shots at the rim, basically, like Austin does. Um, but then you have, I think, two wings who I think you could make an argument sort of shrink your offense when they don't have the ball in their hands in Natasha Cloud and Brittany Sykes, who combined over the last two seasons to shoot 29% from three on, you know, basically 320 plus attempts. So pretty good volume. I think it's not entirely fair to kind of combine them in the the same category, Cloud and Sykes, because Natasha Cloud will at least take them with decent volume and Cloud can at least hit a catch and shoot jumper. You know, she had poor shooting numbers, you know, as much as it's kind of uh, a running joke online now that, you know, she's a shooter or self-proclaimed shooter or stuff like that. She was 39% on catch and shoot threes last year on about 60% of her volume and 20% shooting on threes off the dribble on, you know, the remaining 40% of her volume. So there's some parallels to be drawn between her and Jasmine Thomas there. Yeah, I think so. Uh, Thomas, I think takes more of her off the dribble shots, you know, in, in the kind of in between game, she's not really shooting off the dribble threes as much as off the dribble twos. But I I agree with you in terms of just kind of overall efficiency, you know, catch and shoot, very good. Off the dribble, not so much. But Sykes, you know, she's well below 30% even on catch and shoot looks basically any time outside of the bubble in 2020 where offense was, you know, there's no fans, anything like that, basically at an all-time high. So So do you move Cloud off the basketball then? I mean, like, I think Cloud... Cloud can handle that off the ball role better, right? She's she's a capable spot up shooter. I think she's pretty good at that. But the problem is to me, Eric, is that she's also a better initiator. She's she's a better player to have running your offense. She's a better point guard. So uh it's one of those things where maybe you put the ball into the hands of the player that's worse at creating because she's also so much worse as an off ball player, but you you're definitely gonna lose some value from the creation as much as Sykes you know, she's she's a good passer. She's a, a pretty, you know, okay player in that role, but she's not as good as the best option on this team, I think, right? I agree with that. And as I like to say on this podcast, you don't want to uh, take away from what your really good players are good at in order to accommodate players who aren't as good at that particular thing. I don't know if that makes sense, but yeah. I mean, in fairness to Sykes and to the Mystics, like this I think will probably be the most talented 
offense Brittany Sykes has played in outside of the bubble, the last Chelsea Gray, Candace Parker Sparks season. And that was, you know, basically her first like productive season in, in the WNBA where she was a, a capable offensive player. You know, the, the dream seasons were a little bit more development seasons and stuff like that. So maybe she can just be maximized a bit more than she was since that point in LA where offensive talent has not been abundant, I think, Eric. Um, and it also might be the best defensive team she's played for so far. Obviously, you know, we, we know that those Sparks teams put up back-to-back seasons as the third best defense in the league or the number three rated defense in the league, at least. But this was the best defense in the league last year, and they just added one heck of a defensive player. So I think, you know, there's also a chance. We, we don't know because we haven't seen it, but there's a chance at least that Eric Thibault is the best coach that she's played for in the WNBA particularly offensively, uh, not that high of a bar to clear, in my opinion, respectfully. But I don't know. As much as I wasn't a fan of like the three-year max for Brittany Sykes from a team-building perspective, I can definitely see a world where this first year of her Washington tenure is like the best season of her career because of the system she's playing in and the, the talent around her, I think. Besides Sykes, was there a player that they could really add in free agency that they didn't end up adding? Because like I said, they were... There are links to Brianna Stewart that obviously didn't happen. Um, Sykes was any players on the free agency market that ended up taking deals elsewhere that you would have liked to see on the Mystics? I mean, I was trying to kind of think through it. Like Alicia Gray would have been awesome on this team, but I, I just don't think they would have been able to offer up as much as Atlanta did without giving up like Shakira Austin or something like that. Like obviously the number three pick that Atlanta has is better than the number four pick that uh, Washington this has. Is true. Right? You know, Sammy Whitcomb maybe like, the, the thing about all the players that we'll hit on here, Whitcomb, Tiffany Hayes, uh, Sophie Cunningham, like they're all better fits probably with the closing group. Like Whitcomb and, and Hayes, I think you like their shot profiles a little bit more and kind of the shots that they'll take, but they just, they don't fit that second unit creator need. We that- talked about, we talked about Hayes versus Courtney Williams last week when we were talking about Connecticut, how like Hayes' shot profile is better, but when we were talking about playmaking, she's not really going to do any of that. Yeah, and I think it seems obvious that this team wanted a, a player who can also create a little bit in, in the second unit. And maybe you could kind of address that with two players instead of one player for the max, you know, Whitcomb and a backup point guard or Hayes and a backup point guard who's maybe more in like the training camp contract mold. But, you know, the number four pick for Hayes, if there's a backup point guard out there that that you could have felt comfortable about playing at, you know, somewhat high leverage moments, that's, a, I think... You know, one of the ones where I'm like, yeah, that that kind of to me makes a lot more sense than Sykes on this team. But all these players also, I think, are worse defensive players than than Brittany Sykes. You know, Whitcomb has certainly lost a step defensively. Hayes is not, I think, the the tenacious defender she was a few years ago. So, you know, all of them, they're, they're just basically all better fits with the closing lineup, but they don't bring that very needed element, or at least in Washington's uh, seemingly, in their opinion, of being able to also run your second unit offenses. But, you know, when you look at the other players, you know, Erica Wheeler, Tiffany Mitchell, you know, Jasmine Thomas, Mariah Jefferson, I think I like Sykes fit more than basically any of those other players, even if, again, the, the contract to me is not one that's going to help you over the course of all three years. It, it might help you the first year. Okay, so I was going to suggest some similar players. So we, we might have been, I think you're going to need to clarify this for me because I was going to suggest Lacia, Lacia Clarendon, um, but that would be more of like strictly a backup point guard option, right? instead of somebody who's going to be playing alongside Cloud in the, in the closing lineup? 
Yeah, sure. So that makes sense. But like Clarendon or or like a Jordan Canada type, like they don't really necessarily check any boxes in terms of like maximizing this team's up, upside right now that okay. Br- Brittany Sykes doesn't check, right? I guess not. Um, Canada for sure doesn't. Clarendon, we'll see. Um, I'm I'm really stoked to see them back in the league, to be honest. But I, I think you know that training camp contract they got. There's there, I think there's something going on there. Why why did another team not offer them more money? But We'll see what happens with that. Should we get to strengths and weaknesses? Sure. Um, strengths, I think we've talked about this uh, plenty uh, in the past 40 minutes, but defense, right? I mean, is, is there any reason why they're not going to be the best defensive team in the league again? I struggle to see them not being the number one defense. I mean, I mean, they're, they're going to be awesome in every element defensively, right? They're going to be great defending the perimeter. Like, Brittany Sykes has a very strong defensive reputation and – there's like a non-zero chance that she's the third best overall defensive player on the perimeter when you just factor in team defense, which which really just speaks to their defensive talent. Like Natasha Cloud is awesome. Ariel Atkins is maybe the best help defensive guard in the league. They're going to be awesome defending the rim. We talked about how Della Don, she's underrated in, in her ability to be a plus defender around the basket. Austin at this point is probably better making things happen on the perimeter, but I'm excited to see if they kind of, uh, Washington kind of sticks with, you know, last year's formula of not really playing her in a drop and and kind of having her create chaos on the perimeter of maybe she can kind of take some steps in a more traditional role defensively. But either way, Della Don, Austin, you know, Maisha Hines-Allen, I think is, uh, I think I'm a little bit higher on her defense than you are, Eric. They're going to be awesome forcing turnovers. They were top four last year in both overall turnover percentage and steal percentage, they will probably improve there, you know, uh, with with Sykes coming in and, and Austin um, developing into a second-year player. Out there together, I hope they play really, really aggressively and, and kind of less conventionally, especially against, you know, second units that, that might struggle to create a little bit more. They're going to be great getting into the passing lanes, you know, digging down into the, to the post by their perimeter players. They're going to be able to finish off possessions with defensive rebounding, you know, no reason to think they'll be worse there as a very good defensive rebounding team. So, I mean, this is just going to be one of the more fun defenses to watch kind of go to work out there. The only pitfall I can see there is when Christy Tolliver comes back, she's a, just a total sieve defensively. But there's enough defense around her where that's, in, in the grand scheme of things, I don't think that's really going to matter. Yeah, that, that's true. I mean, she's not a good defender. Lee Meng might not be a good WNBA defender. But I think especially, again, if you're kind of playing those teams against other second units, like second units usually struggle to score. You know, there, there's going to be somewhere to hide one of those players on against basically every team up until you really get to like the highest levels. You know, the the second round of the playoffs or later. I think they're they're going to be one of the best cutting teams in the league. Austin was already elite there. Cloud, I think you know, Cloud is a player that we don't really talk about too much on this podcast just because she's been who she's been for basically the entirety of the the show, Eric. You know, since we started, this is our fourth back in 2020 yeah. team outlook that that we're doing here you know it's not like she's had any major changes throughout her game but she's such a good player she I think is a player who has one of the best floor games in the league one of those players that will cut without the intention of even getting the basketball just to kind of open somebody else up on in the corner or something like that you know nah, she's a great player I think I'd feel comfortable calling her a top six or so point guard in the league as you said she doesn't put up those eye-popping numbers but she has quietly become a pretty decent score. You know, last season, career high, uh, 19.2% usage, 52.3% true shooting. You know, not not amazing, but definitely more than serviceable for what they need her for. 
Um, you got to keep in mind when she first came into the league, she's an offensive liability. You know, she was just purely a pace point guard, purely a game manager who's in there mainly to defend. Um, but since the podcast started, so we kind of coincided with Natasha Cloud's uh, come up offensively. She's become a reliable scorer as well. She's really good at, for you know, as as we say, like as for as much um, joking we do about her her jump shooting. You also mentioned that she's quietly become a pretty decent catch and shoot player, um, and she can get to the rim. You know, she's always been able to do that. So if the Mystics are able to space the floor around her, that's going to become all the more valuable. And then also the ability to defend one through three at a high level. That combined with the floor game already puts her in some pretty elite company. You got to look at all the other great point guards in the league. Not many elite defensive players among those names. So I think it's it's about what you value from a player. Cloud has definitely kind of gone from being a player who fits within the Mystic system to taking the Mystic system and optimizing it whenever she's on the floor. Just because of her floor game, like you mentioned, one of the best in the league, and her defensive ability, which is at the point of attack, nearly unmatched. You know, I would say Jasmine Thomas is, in my opinion, the best point of attack defender in the league, but she's getting up there in age. You know, if, if Cloud, you know, comes out next this coming season and is just puts on a defensive clinic and we, we call her the best defensive point guard in the league, I wouldn't be very surprised, to be honest. Like, she may have had a case for several years now, but, yeah. And, and this she's... is a conversation we've been having for a few years, but the reason that Cloud might just be a little bit more valuable than Jasmine Thomas as a defensive player is that positional versatility, like being able to guard yeah, all, one through three. all three yep. spots uh, because she is so strong. And that element of her game... It's obviously helped her defensively, but her strength has, you know, basically since that first Mystics Finals team back in 2018, where she was able to actually kind of turn herself into a plus two point scorer. You know, you think about how not positive of a player she was. It, it, it wasn't just shooting threes, like she could not score inside the arc. And I think so much of that kind of correlates with her getting stronger and being able to finish oversize. Any other strengths that pop out to you about this Washington team? I mean, I think they have. They have less optionality than last year because none of their wings, unlike an Alicia Clark, can slide down to the four. But they still can give you some different looks closing if they need to. They can, you know, maybe they'll be able to close with Christy Tolliver, depending on, you know, how she looks coming back. Maybe they'll be able to close with Maisha Hines-Allen instead of Shakira Austin. Although, you know, we, we've talked about it and I don't want to pile on her too much, but Hines-Allen was not a positive offensive player last year. She was in the 29th percentile league-wide in two-point shooting percentage. She was in the bottom third of the league overall in true shooting, but she does take and make threes, 36% of her threes last year. You know, you probably want the volume up there, but at least if you just kind of, if your offense is struggling, which it probably will with these, with the lack of floor spacing and, and shooting that they have out there, if you just need to kind of open things up with having two bigs that can space the floor, you, you at least kind of have that option, I think. I, do you think Heinz Allen is a better offensive or defense, defensive player? I'm defensive. Just curious. I would say defensive. defensive. Really? Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Um, even though she, she's undersized, I think she she's really good at making rotations. Um, she challenges with verticality very well, even if oh, we love that. her length is not necessarily adequate to always, you know, disrupt finishes uh, against, you know, the, the either the biggest or the most athletic players. But she, as much as she's not like, a quote-unquote defensive playmaker in in the stocks. Um, I think she has turned herself into a good system defender. That's true. You don't need to be a good. You don't need to be a playmaker to be good on defense, particularly if you're a big. But um, all right, weaknesses. Well, um, I think we know them. Uh, shooting. We've been talking about it. Yeah. yeah, 
you know, just, just how is this team going to score against the best defenses in the league? You know, if like, how do you just score against the best defenses when you, you don't have the floor spacing, you don't have the shooting. I think their shot profile is going to be something to monitor. You know, last year, 18% of their shots came as non-paint twos. And then you just look, look at kind of who's, who's coming in, who's going out. Alicia Clark, 7% of her shots came as non-paint twos. Brittany Sykes, a third of her shots come as non-paint twos, and she hits them at less than 32%. Yeah, that's a lot. So, and not very uh, effective. So, you know, to take a third of your shots outside of the paint, inside of the three-point line, and hit them at less than a 33% clip, you know, for as much as she's a player comfortable taking that shot, like, it, it just doesn't really live up to any sort of effectiveness. Atkins, you know, a career high last year, and her proportion of shots that came as non-paint twos, so... You know, they, they're probably going to be a, a team that takes the worst shots more often than, you know, an elite offense really would. Now, you mentioned something. This We want to bring this up later, but I think it'd be good to address this now. Uh, in recent history, the teams that win the WMA championship are usually really good offenses. Like the best offense in the yeah, league. Like they Almost say defense, yeah, like the, the typical cliche is defense wins championships. In this league, it's offense wins championships. We saw that in 2019 with this very franchise. Uh, it is not 2019 anymore. This is a very different team than the 2019 Mystics. So I think it's a very valid concern. Yeah, I mean, there have basically have been two teams over the last decade that were not the best te- offense in the league and still won the championship. The 2015 Lynx, who, as you might remember, Eric, took a, a little bit of a, a midseason shift in their roster. And you, your Chicago Sky, who... You know, those are both, to me, kind of abnormal situations. I, I wouldn't necessarily put those in the category as uh, favorable for the, the Mystics' chances necessarily. So I think they're going to... Uh, I, I mean, every team in the league is reliant on their stars to some extent, but the path to this team, even being an average offense, rests solely on the shoulders of Elena Deladon. Like, nobody else can drive this team to, to efficient offense. Nobody else, uh, you know, the, the collective offensive ecosystem like it, it doesn't really matter if elena deladon is not elena deladon i don't think and unfortunately you know she has health concerns i mean you could technically say that about any player but this is a this is a player who they're going to once again i'd imagine uh you know approach with kid gloves because they got to keep her healthy for the playoffs so we'll see if the on-off splits are as wild as they were last season i wouldn't be surprised if they're not or, or if they if they are because of how much she means to this team offensively. So, yeah. As much as I think they're going to be an elite defense, I, they might struggle, I think, against just, like, the best post scorers. You know, not that there are too many of them left in the league at this point, but just, you know, those those power post players, they don't have great size or strength down low. Um, you know, the, the Brianna Jones, Brittany Griners, you know, the team, the players that I think most teams struggle to, to stop an individual defense. You know, basically any other type of player, I think they'll be able to kind of handle pretty easily but that one specific kind of power post you know who do they really have to slow that player down i don't think they really have anyone um i wanted to mention once again the value-added passing you could okay you could say like okay britney sykes is going to be their backup point guard she's going to handle the ball but is she going to maximize her teammates in the pick and roll um who who is creating shots for other players on this roster besides natasha cloud we saw last season uh rui machida could barely get minutes towards the end of the season i that might be an issue again with this team even if Tolliver comes back like she's she can play point guard but she's not really much of she's never been a value-added passer throughout her career i would say um 
So like, no, she is, she opens things up in a much different way than through her much different way. Making. Yeah, exactly. And and even then, she's how old? 36, 37? Like, there's no guarantee that she's going to be the player that she once was either, because the way things happened last season in L.A., she wasn't. So, yeah, I just I just have serious concerns about that area of the roster, particularly, again, like we've been harping on this all episode, but if you have really good playmaking, that can kind of negate a lack of shooting. It can at least make it a little bit better because those shots are going to be open. They're going to come in within the flow of the offense. But who is who is manufacturing those shots besides Natasha Cloud? That's, I think, a, a very big concern for me. Yeah, I mean, it. I would previously, in previous years, I would say that like the Mike Tebow system is the value-added passing, right? Like having Mike Tebow as your coach and Elena Deladon as your franchise player is kind of all you need to sort of open things up and, and create driving lanes and, and good, clean spot-up opportunities for everybody else. Um, we'll see if Eric Tebow can kind of create that same type of extremely friendly offensive ecosystem. Uh, you know, in terms of value-added passing, like I think we both agree that Natasha Cloud is a very good passer. You know, maybe not Courtney Vandersloot out there, but like she's a good player. You know, she's you're, she's not going to kind of inhibit you from having a very good offense. I think it's just the combination of Cloud and Sykes together and then also just a non-shooting center is just going to make it a little bit tougher to generate especially against very good defenses those uh, that high efficiency offense so I think depth might become a problem like on paper I think it mostly looks fine they have three bigs like that I think range from great to serviceable you know uh in Deladon and and Austin and uh Heinz Allen they have two capable ball handlers uh in in Cloud and Sykes you know I think how much value Sykes really adds to your offense as a ball handler will remain to be seen. Something of a third one when Tolliver arrives. You know, they're they're stacked defensively and they have some bench shooting to kind of complement those defenders in, in Tolliver and Mang and Shatori, depending on what season it is, because she, she exactly. can definitely wax and wane. Um, you know, when we get to the fourth big territory, whether it's Hawkins or Jones or Amanda Zowie like they're going to struggle. If they really play a fourth big heavy minutes, I think those minutes are going to be tough. High. That, that, that's going to, that's going to happen eventually because you're going to be having maintenance days for Deladon, right? Yeah, for sure. And you know, even if they're a little bit fewer and further between than last season, like, I mean, all in a Deladon's not going to play 40 games this year. I mean, you can pretty much I highly doubt it. Um, you know, there's, there's a pretty decent chance that Tolliver doesn't work out as much as we hate to say it. You know, she's historically like one of my favorite players in the league, but she's 36. She hasn't, you know, played a lot of games basically since their first final run in 2018 was the last time that she's played even 25 games in a season, I want to say. And she's, you know, the third oldest player in the league, like we had mentioned a few weeks ago. So there's there's a lot counting on, on Tolliver and, you know, for that to go right. There's, a, I think, a somewhat decent chance that, you know, Lee Mang just can't hang in the WNBA. So, you know, one or both of those things happen to be the case and the perimeter depth I think is looking a lot worse so you know if that's the case and then the cloud Sykes fit turns out to just not really be ideal like there isn't another candidate to close games I don't think if if Christy Tolliver is not something close to the player that she was in 2019 okay all that being said uh you are still pretty high in the mystics entering this season right yeah I mean I am I, I think as much as we talked about how this offense might not be very good I think they're going to be the third best team in the league. I think they're going to be unbelievable defensively. I think they have great perimeter defense, great interior defense. 
I think they have capable offensive players who, you know, if they don't make perfect sense together, they can uh, at least make it work somewhat in the regular season to maybe average-ish in in an average-ish offense, you know, plus Elena Deladon and an elite defense like that I think is going to be enough to probably be the the third best team, at least in the regular season. This is obvious on the offensive end, but I think there's at least a chance that defensively this team might need what Alicia Clark provides defensively more than what Brittany Sykes provides defensively. Like how so even as much of a, as a great defensive playmaker that Sykes is like, I don't think she's quite as valuable as an off ball defender you know, she's she's an imperfect defender getting through screens. She's not as effective switching on to bigger players. Like, they don't really have anybody on the perimeter now. Aside from, I guess, Cloud a little bit, who's, like, strong enough to kind of switch on to a four and not just kind of get put in the goal right away, right? Okay, that's that's a good point. I didn't really consider that. Uh, but, I mean, I guess the, the good thing is, is that she, I think, more so than Clark, opens up the opportunity to move Atkins off ball defensively even more so than, you know, Cloud and Clark together, where I think Ariel Atkins, when she's locked in, can just be, like I mentioned before, the best help defensive guard in the league. And if she's not creating a ton of steals, you know, she's just getting her hands into to the digging down into the post. You know, she's she's making good rotation, stuff like that. So if Sykes is, you know, if her presence means more off ball Ariel Atkins, as great as Atkins is on the ball, like I think she's just even more valuable off the ball. So you are buying into the defense plus Deladon strategy. I mean, it worked last year. In the regular season, at least. We'll see about that. In the players. regular season, yeah. And if you look at the, the landscape of the league, it's changed significantly in how many really, really good teams there are and how many really, really bad teams there are. Um, I think, so, so you're, you're buying the Mystics as kind of the best of the rest. Who else did you put in that conversation? Connecticut, for sure. I mean, that to me is kind of the second tier, those two teams. Okay. those. What, what do you think? Right. It feels like maybe you're a little bit lower on me than Washington. Um, Maybe. I just don't know if this if this strategy will work again because I'm just I'm just not convinced that Deladon is going to stay healthy for the entire season. And that may be a little cynical, but given what we've seen for basically her entire career, you know, I mean, it is going to be fun to see, like, this team just get, totally get, her at, get after it defensively because I think if you compare, compare them last year defensively, you said um, Clark maybe provides a little bit more defensive versatility, but I think Sykes provides the upside. But a lot of that depends on, are they going to embrace more of a transition basketball game? If not, I could see them maybe just not having the offense to get a top three seed. Top four, I think, is definitely in play, for sure. But um, I guess the other side of that coin is there's still some uncertainty with what's going on in Phoenix. Um, like, we literally have no idea what's going on in Phoenix. When was the last time we heard anything from Phoenix? Like, we have no clue what's going on with Skylar Diggins-Smith. So, um, anyway. Yeah, I, I think I think top four is a safe bet. I'm not ready to put them over Connecticut now because I think Connecticut just has a higher ceiling. But top four for sure. Interesting. I would say that Connecticut has a higher floor and a lower ceiling. Just because having a tier one player, I think, is it, it just kind of propels you to greater heights, even if I think... Like, there's a decent chance that the cloud Sykes thing just doesn't work, and, and their floor, you know, it just kind of doesn't really come together offensively, and they're ninth in offense instead of maybe fifth or something like that. But, I mean, we, we agree that they're probably going to be unbelievable defensively. It's just, I guess, how did they make it all work offensively? And I, I agree with you. I think kind of adapting their philosophy and being able to kind of get out in the open court and take advantage of 
what this team should be able to do well, like the strengths that they do have offensively, is going to be pretty important there. All right. Uh, are we signing off here on the Mystics? Yeah, I think we're ready to go. Thank you all for listening. If you wanted to support the show, which we always appreciate, you can do so by following, rating, and reviewing on Apple, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. You can follow the show on Twitter at DoubleDownWNBA. You can follow Eric at Nimchuk E or myself at Trinkwald, and we'll uh, be back next week. All right. Catch you next time, everybody. Take care.